we're also busy in our lives. I mean, every second we're distracted by another shiny thing or another thing that wants our attention. And, and that isn't what life is. It's the silence and the space and the stillness. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Jema. Olivia. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. Such an honor to have you. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. You have been such a inspiration and guiding force in my own relationship with death. So I really am so happy that you're here and able to speak on this subject for the listeners. So thank you. You're welcome. So let's just jump right in. How did you enter into this work of death and dying? I think uh, what triggered this particular path, as opposed to a healing journey that I was on anyway, a very personal journey, which involved hands-on healing, was when mother died. Actually, it was before mother died, when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she did the treatment and the hysterectomy. And I went to visit her in, in October of one year and she said, okay, I'm done. Enough of this. I'm going home. And she meant that on many levels. Take her home from the hospital, no more treatment. And she knew what home was to her in terms of after death. Mm. And it was that, I think, that opened the space for me to just stand there in her presence and witness her journey. That's all she wanted. She didn't need help. She didn't need advice. She wanted me to be beside her and accept her journey and support her in it. And I think that was when I opened up to healing being not about surviving, fixing, mm -hmm. curing. Mm -hmm. Healing was about being present mm. more so than I'd ever been before. So I did follow her on her journey and witnessed her in her amazingness. And what struck me most, and I've read about this since, um, Stephen Jenkinson speaks about this in his book, Die Wise, that dying is not something that happens to you. Dying is something you do. Mm. And I'm Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot. Like if we can do something, then we can learn how to do it well. Mm -hmm. And by witnessing mother and then witnessing how other people are not dying, they're literally avoiding it mm -hmm. at all costs, which is really sad. Yeah. Uh, I realized that there must be a pathway to dying well. Mm -hmm. So that's what my study and my experience moved into. And that was the very beginning of it. That was the beginning of conscious dying. Mm. And interestingly, that was just the first part because after mother died, her dying experience was something, but it was after she died and the hospice nurse came into the room and said, would you help me prepare your mother's body? Um, that was another huge step wow. into wow, I thought it ended here, but here we go. Mm -hmm. There's more. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not just the ceasing of the heartbeat. Like, what, what is this liminal space now between life and death and acknowledging who she was then and who she is now? Mm -hmm. So holding her body in my arms while we washed her and laying her out in honor in her beautiful burial trousseau and mm -hmm inviting others to come and bear witness to a warm body that was no longer beating, that was no longer containing the consciousness of my mother was a huge space and a, 
a huge gift to everybody who walked through the door. And that's when I realized we have thrown something away in our culture. When we, when we give away the body to a funeral home, we've lost that opportunity. We, we've robbed ourselves of leaning into, in, in fact, immersing ourselves in, into this death zone yeah. with the body. Oh, so that's so when I realized <laughs> we have to keep the body for a bit longer. Mm-hmm. There's a teaching here. There's an opportunity for profound growth and healing and, and beauty. So um, mothers, we kept mother for many, many hours. But, and then I learned how to um, prepare the body and keep it at home on dry ice and, and have the funeral at home. So my work began really as a home funeral guide, mm. opening up that space after death for three more days. I love that so much. And I wish I had known all of that because I've done the training with you. And so now I know, <laughs> the, you know, the process and the logistics of doing that. And I wish I'd done that with my, my father, mm. my grandmothers. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's most likely was not the, the place in the space to do that as well, because it's also getting a lot of other people on board with that. And I wasn't proficient enough, you know, to kind of convince other people because it's, that's alternative, right? I mean, mm. right now for most people. So I think that's why it's so important, this work you're doing to show the beauty that can come from death. And I just, even looking at when my dog died a couple of years ago and we kept his body for 24 hours, you know, which I'd learned from you and it was so beautiful and it was so, I mean, I just, I cried for 24 hours and I held him and I, you know, put him in blankets and we pet him and going through that with Jemima for her to witness that and to not be scared and to see his beauty and to really give that love. And then when you're ready, you know, when we took him to get cremated, you're kind of ready, you know, it's like, you've had this space and time and I just think it's so, it's really crazy once you start learning about conscious dying the way that we do it because it's like, we, we don't want to look at anything. Mm-hmm. This person just whisked off our beloved that we never see again. And it's like, how are we supposed to wrap our mind around that and our heart around that? Exactly. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was the time frame like when that happened with your mother? When did she pass? Uh, she passed in 2005. Okay. So it was ever since then, from mm-hmm. that moment, I knew her, her gift to me. And, and death is always a gift. Mm. It, there's always a gift in death. Mm. If you think everything we eat is dead, we're only here because of death. We, we live and breathe because things died for us. Mm. And I know when mum died, this is the gift. She's, she's gifted me a whole other life. It was mm. like she birthed me oh, twice. Wow. <laughs> it, it, and I wonder if that is the truth for everybody, if they look into it really deeply and allow their parents' death mm. to birth them again. Mm-hmm. You can find a whole other journey in there. I think this is especially the case of children. Mm-hmm. If children die, they can actually birth their parents. <laughs> mm. You know, a mother. A mother is profoundly changed she's a new woman after a child dies so uh but it's it's adjusting our viewpoint from tragedy and grief and longing and yearning to thank you and gratitude and who am i now so yeah mum's death was was my gift in this i forgot the question (laughs) just how you got into this work I don't we'll be doing that a lot, just going into these portals of death and dying. But it's all it's all cumulative. I mean, I feel like it's all part of this one onion of layers, you yeah. know? And so it's it's kind of impossible to speak to one part without all the others too. So ramble on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I learned so much from your stories, as I was saying before we even started recording. I mean, I think that's the beauty of the way that you teach is really from your storytelling and the embodiment of your work. You know, it's such a calling. It's your dharma in this Mm. lifetime and it's so profound. It is. I wanted to address when you said that it is so alternative, it's difficult to persuade others. And what I've noticed is it only takes one person in the family who decides that they want that Mm -hmm. for themselves, Mm -hmm. whether it's they believe that, that they want to keep their own mother or father or best friend home for a little while longer. It, 
that's their wanting and their following their own intuition ultimately is serving the whole community. Mm-hmm. The rest of the community just don't know it. Yeah. They need to be led because yeah. they're too fearful. Mm-hmm. They're paralyzed with their own fear. So they would rather it disappeared into the refrigerator in a, in a yeah. black plastic bag than, mm-hmm. than face it and, and experience something beyond their wildest imaginings. And everybody says, wow, I had no idea. I, I, I had this feeling that they would be decomposing before my eyes and it would mm-hmm. be spooky, scary, weird, creepy. And it's none of those mm-hmm. things. It's, it's so peaceful. It's peaceful. It's beauty. It's mm-hmm. grace. It's, it's You feel much more alive when you're standing there present to mm-hmm. the dead body of somebody. Yeah. Um, and so I've never true. experienced anyone who, who felt that they wished they hadn't done it. They wish they wouldn't keep mm-hmm. mom at home. Mm-hmm. In fact, everybody says, I don't know how I would have integrated the death yeah. had I been laying in bed imagining her in the refrigerator somewhere yeah. unknown. Yeah. She was known. She was still here. There she was laying out in the living room. She looked beautiful. I could go in and see her whenever I wanted. I could touch her, talk to her. And that was so comforting to them. Mm-hmm. No, so... Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm just thinking about when my dad died and seeing his body, which thank God I I was like, do not let them take his body without me coming over there, you know? And it was so beautiful to be with his body, but then just the energy and the light was out of his eyes, but it was so fascinating. I mean, I felt like I was almost a scientist just like staring and like taking in who he was without this light. And it was incredible. And it was so kind of weird. I mean, this is about to sound very strange about to say, but I had this feeling where I just wanted to like keep his skull. It's like I wanted a talisman kind of, you know, mm-hmm. of like to keep him. Um, but it wasn't, it didn't feel creepy. It was just like, this is my beautiful dad and I just want to keep a piece of him. And, you know, I didn't know enough about keeping for three days. I I would have had family members fighting me on that, but I'm at least grateful I had that time to actually process with him and speak with him and just lie in the bed next to him until it was time for him to go. But the integration piece is something that is just so missed. And I remember that night I couldn't sleep at all. And my husband had come in town and I was like, is this crazy? But I want to go to my dad's apartment. I want to like go and be with his energy because I just felt like he was still around. And he was like, no, you go and do whatever you want. And like other family members thought I was crazy, like so morbid that I'm going like sleeping in dad's bed or just being in the room. And, but it really, it took me a couple of days to just really feel it, you know? And it was so healing. Mm-hmm. So. See, I, I think that window of three days after death is beneficial to, to both the one mm-hmm. who's just left their physical body that energy, I do think it takes two or three days to fully exit this physical form. If you imagine the consciousness is mm. intertwined around every single cell and there are trillions of them, mm-hmm. I think it takes a while to fully separate. It, it definitely takes a while for those cells to stop duplicating. So life is happening and that consciousness of your dad is there. And and it takes three days for the loved ones to integrate, like you said, what mm-hmm. happened. And and wanting to be in that space is 100% natural. You you were the one who got that. I mean, how many people do you know who, they they were children when their grandma died many years ago and everyone protected them. Oh no, children don't go to funerals. And you come home from school one day and you you hear that grandma died and you don't go to the funeral, you don't go to see her body and Mm -hmm. you're supposed to get on with life. And a child will make up pictures in their mind of what happened to her where did she go yeah and the mind is a fearful thing it'll mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's much worse than reality yeah so when when you see the body you can you get it you you mm-hmm. feel it and that's what you did innately because mm-hmm. you're a very conscious being yeah and i didn't grow up with seeing a lot of dead bodies but there was a lot of death early on in my life so there's always a lot of talk and openness around it which i think it's probably why I'm drawn to death and, you know, your work and conscious dying. And I've always been really open with Joima about it too. And it, I've seen 
just how beautiful when you are honest with children about life cycles, birth and death. You know, we talk a lot about birth because I'm a doula, Mm -hmm. you know, and same with death. And I just think when we have these conversations, they're not fearful. They, They can see the beauty. It's when we don't, like you were just saying, when we don't talk and explain and honor the process, that's when all the fear and like the fear mongering and like scary and mystery and they'll fill in those blanks. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, the children at the home funerals are, mm. it, it's astounding to, to witness how, how naturally they just accept it. Mm. And they'll bring the adults into the room. They, they tug on the adults who are standing fearfully at the door and say, come mm. and see grandma. Mm. She, she's not moving anymore. Yeah, and you, you can touch her, you can touch her, they say. You know, and there's so the adult sweet. with a little pokey <laughs> finger going, are you sure I can? <laughs> they get it. Yeah, sweet. And is the three days, I mean, you were just saying about the cellular level, is there something in the spiritual explanation about a three days or is it just generally kind of throughout different cultures, a couple of days? Because that seems like a common thread. Yeah, well, I've, I've read about the three days in, in numbers of mm-hmm. different, you know, ancient texts and Christ was in the tomb for three days. Mm. Why was it three days? What was he doing in there? What was happening? And perhaps it is true that it takes literally three days to move from this um, realm to another one. I don't know. That's the, that's a mystery. Mm-hmm. I do know that with when we give ourselves three more days, we are better because of it and mm-hmm. everything is more natural and easier. I think it helps grief. It it helps, it softens the edges because nothing is traumatic, nothing is fractured. The energy in the room isn't, um, isn't, isn't fractured by strangers doing something that feels you know, a little bit disrespectful, stuffing mm. your loved one into a plastic bag and mm. zipping it up and dragging it away is, 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 is innately, it feels off. Yeah. Like the day before you were hugging them and now they're, now they're, surrounded by yellow tape and it's a <laughs> crime scene. Yeah. All of that is it's not human. It's no. not kind to the psyche. And then pumping um, them full of chemicals as well ugh. and then putting them in a coffin. I mean, that's a whole other topic. I want to have you back on like the logistics of death and the industry of funeral homes. But I mean, that's crazy too. I mean, it, we're just not looking at bodies as part of nature. Life and death is part of the same cycle. Yeah. And suddenly it's a, it, it, it's an object to be feared mm. instead of an object to be held. Mm. And especially mothers, mothers with babies, with stillborn, mm. with infants who die. The fact that that infant is withheld from her and she's not allowed to hold it in her arms for however long she needs. No. That's the thing. However long she needs, she may need two hours, she may need three whole days, she may need to put it in the basket and pick it up. And it's her right. Mm-hmm. And she needs to be trusted that when the time comes for her to say goodbye, she will do it because she's the mother and she knows what she has to do. And that is empowering her. And we do the exact opposite. We try to protect her. We take it away. We ugh, All of that stuff. This is such a triggering topic too. Like, I mean, my heart is just breaking feeling all that of mothers losing a child. I mean, it's it's our worst nightmare, right? I mean, literally it's all of our mother, as mother, it's all of our worst nightmare. And I think it's so important to speak to this, to this topic. How, how do you go about holding space for women that have stillbirths or their babies die, you know, very soon after birth. Well, I, I would encourage any any mother who knows that um, her baby has died in utero to, mm-hmm. to reach out and to call and say, I'm going to birth, you know, my son tomorrow. And um, can you help me? Mm-hmm. So that's that's when we go and and stand witness with her doing this phenomenally brave and beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. When you're birthing death, it's it's huge. I mean, it's beyond comprehension. And what she needs is time and space and, and more time and more space to feel into it. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard to to move on in her life in any in any meaningful way. Because she's going to get 
is going to be stopped there. Mm. And we don't want her life to stop right there. We need to, we need to open up the, the river so that it can continue to flow through. So being there with her while she delivers and then just holding the space for her to be present, to hold her baby if she, and, and if she wants to, to bring it home. Mm-hmm. So she brings the baby home and she gets to dress it and wash it and lay it in its crib and sit present with what just happened in the quiet of her own home with a husband or, or a partner and just breathe and trust that nature and what just happened will heal her. Mm. And that's all we do. I mean, I, I know that I, I, there's nothing I can do or say or help or fix. I can just create that container yeah. so, and trust her. And then they do. And once the mother has had time, mom and dad have been with the baby for a couple of days. They call and say, thank you. Um, can you come and, and pick her up now? We're done. Yeah. Or they can take it themselves to the, the crematory mm-hmm. or the graveside. And then they've, they've, they have taken their child every step of the way. Mm. And th- that it had two days of life, 40 days, mm. <laughs> or, or, or it's eight and a half months in the womb. That was life. Yeah. You know, it had eight and a half months. Yeah. I just heard something on the radio today that if you see a flowering tree, some of the branches are little stubs and then there's a flower, like mm-hmm. a cherry blossom and some are six inches mm-hmm. and then some are huge and long ones with, and it, it doesn't really matter. They all flower, mm-hmm. but you know, the length mm-hmm. of the branch actually contributes to the beauty of the tree. If they were all great long ones with little flowers on the end, the tree wouldn't look as beautiful as it does when it's filled in with the short ones. I thought, wow, that that really speaks to the beauty of mm-hmm. the life and the treasure of, of a, a child that lives just a short, short time. Mm-hmm. And and mother will mother and father will get that. Mm-hmm. And and then when they can say goodbye themselves and place that infant in its own little box and put the lid on and do whatever ceremony they need, there's there's a sense of they fully exhaled. Mm-hmm. whatever their life was up until that point and now they can hold each other in a new way and that's what I'm trying to create for these families rather than healing this fractured traumatic event that will penetrate every aspect mm-hmm. of their lives from henceforth if they don't do this yeah, yeah. and just to witness that is so important to see like, this is my baby's actual face and bones and her hands and her feet, you know, that we've been imagining or seeing on the ultrasounds or projecting, you know, it's such a journey that your whole pregnancy, Mm -hmm. I think it's just such an important piece of being able to be with that baby. And, you know, I do have a couple of acquaintances that have had stillbirths and a friend also. And I just always want, I'm like yearning for them to have more time, you know, they're Mm -hmm. like, we had a little bit of time and but it's just, like you said, you should have as much time as you want and you need, you know, period. And I know there are some hospitals in Australia, I've listened to different podcasts where they have grieving rooms where you can actually go sleep with the baby and have you know, special nurses that tend to you, death doulas, basically. It'd just be so incredible if we had that here, if that was an offering, oh. because it happens, you know, it happens. That would be my goal is for every hospital to have a dying yeah. room where yeah. the, the person not only went there to be taken off all the tubes and all, there was no medical equipment mm. and they got to lay there and die as long as it took. Mm. Maybe it takes three days to die and there's beds in there for their loved ones, mm. not just children. But, you know, and then they got to stay there for three more days. Mm. And then, you know, the room was transformed into this little temple yeah. of love. And that became the place like like the parlor. Mm-hmm. What if we moved it into the hospital so the person, whoever it was, could stay there? I think that would be great. So beautiful. But it also bringing the them home is is a yeah. Uh, this is something very special to have the loved one laying out in the living room, mm-hmm. just like we used to do in the old days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, what are some ways that people celebrate? the baby or the children at home funerals? Like, what does that look like? Because I know sometimes painting of the coffin or the box. 
or special like poetry? Like what does that kind of look like for people that might have experienced that and they're curious? Wow. But it, it's everything. Mm-hmm. It, it's anything that the family wants. That's the good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may be just, well, depending if it's um, an infant, say a child who was born with, um, you know, a genetic illness that was going to prevent it living for more than a few months. Mm-hmm. So it spent most of its life in the ICU or in, in some hospital environment. So to bring it home and see it in a different way, like this, now that now the child is surrounded by its siblings and it doesn't have tubes and wires coming out of it. And it, it's a very different experience for the mother to hold a baby that's no longer sick. Mm. Um, so that mm. in itself, and then to have people come and visit while mom's holding the child wow. so they can see that this was mother and child. So anyone who comes to the door is having this huge experience of, of, of the enormity of what it is to experience that kind of loss. And yet just their presence and their willingness to kneel before the mother and hold her or gift her with something that might be somebody's idea of a ceremony and that might last all day. It could last three days. I had one family who they wanted their little girl to have a ride in the, you know, the Cinderella carriage. Mm. And the, I think it's Make-A-Wish or one of those mm. foundations actually have a white carriage that's lit up with and it's drawn by white horses, oh, wow. you know. And by the time they booked it to come to the ceremony, um, come to the house, the little girl died. So she actually had a ride in the carriage in her Moses basket with her sister Aww. and her mom and dad. And all of the, the guests who came were out there in the street following this Cinderella carriage. And it was the most tender, incredibly beautiful thing. And I had another friend who, who just had her infant. He was still born. So he, he was laid out in his little basket by the altar in the house. And the house was filled with people. Everybody wrote a blessing on a, flare, uh, on a prayer flag. Mm. They, they wrote a message in a book for mom and dad. And then they spent the whole day in the house. And then we had a beautiful gathering where everybody shared their experiences while she was pregnant. Mm. And, and then what had happened while he was there in the house for a couple of days. It was, um, wow. it was just this, this enormous gathering of outpouring of, of love and kindness and community, mm. um, which I think is a big dose of medicine for yeah. the parents. And it takes such bravery too, to, I think, open up to that because I feel like a lot of the feedback I hear when women experience loss in the hospital is they sometimes feel like they're having to hold for even the nurses that are visibly upset or don't exactly know what to say. And so it's like there's such bravery in opening your home up where you don't know how everyone's going to be reacting and you don't want to have to feel like you're hosting other people. But if you can kind of pull that bandaid off and just say, this is what is, and this is what will be, then there is such an opportunity for healing. You know, and once people maybe kind of get over that shock, because we're not used to seeing dead babies, but if you get over that shock, then you can really see the beauty of it. And then there is that medicine and that healing. And then, you know, for years to come, you know, that's part of the conversation. Remember when we had that day together and you were there and I was there and it was, you know, cracked us all open. And then the mom really has that community instead of just isolating herself and her pain. Yes, exactly. And there's lots of little rituals that you can do to make it much more to make it more impactful. I mm. mean, simple things like everybody lights a candle or, um, you know, perhaps re- releasing butterflies. Mm. Or I had one where they did, they they took a beautiful, and it's just a single white bed sheet and everybody wrote their blessing to him, you know, mm. just like, and then they wrapped the baby in this at the very end, knowing that he would be cremated in this swaddling clothes of messages that was the love for him. And then they, they just got a simple cardboard box, painted it white, a tiny one, and and put rainbows over it and butterflies. And it was just, they're just stunning. N- not one has been anything than, wow, why, why aren't we doing this? Why is it taken away? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and some of the, the classes with you and, and witnessing that and seeing, you know, your photos and hearing your stories and the videos of them. They're so beautiful. I mean, it really is so moving. And just that opportunity for healing and you just 
it makes it makes my heart break that we're not all doing that all the time. You know, all these women that are just walking around like the wounded, you know, and and how hard that must be just to go back to your life and your other kids. And and you know, I've done the training with you, and then I've also done more lost doula work for miscarriages and abortions and stillbirths. And you know, I think it's such an important piece too for the mom to really look at her body as postpartum. You know, the baby's not living, but she's gone through this whole thing and to really get so much tender loving care and wrapping the belly and doing the Mayan belly massage and all of that, you know, because that's such a huge part of the healing too. Huge. And mind, body, and spirit. And and it's not just women that have a living baby that need help. It's all women that have gone through that. Um, my, I, I agree. My mother lost, uh, her first child was stillborn and this is early 1950s. And they, they said, no, you don't want to look at it. It will make it harder if you see it. And she said, what is it? Is it a boy or is it a girl? And they said, it's best if you don't know. (laughs) She found out later from a nurse who actually whispered to her that it was a girl, Mm -hmm. but that's all she got was that, no, not even a glimpse. And, and then she was put back in a ward with, you know, 10 other women who all had their baby and where she stayed for a whole week and did nothing but weep. And on the way home in the car, you know, apparently my father said, stop that crying. We'll just have another one. Mm. And from that moment forth, she, she said she felt like a piece of her body was cut out and put somewhere mm. in, in a grave. And I know that because of that, her mothering was a, a, affected yeah. the next three children. Yeah. I know it did. You could feel it. There was, she carried it with her all the way. And when somebody would stop her in the street and said, how many children do you have? She'd say, she'd always say, I had four. Mm. I remember as a little girl going, there's only three of us and not really understanding. She always answered that way. She refused to, which was beautiful in a Mm -hmm. way. She honored that. She honored it. It was her way of saying, no, I don't care what you did. You took it away from me, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I often wonder how different she would have been you know, mm-hmm. if she was allowed to bring it home and and, and look after it. I, I, had, I helped a family a couple of years ago who their baby was born and, and it was in the ICU for like six months. And mom had to go back, which was a two-hour drive to take care of three other children. Oh so the father would make a point like twice a week to make this long drive to children's hospital to be with it. And and to just and to just hold her if he could, mm. I think once a month the mother managed to come. They were they, you know they didn't have a lot of money, mm. and they asked if when she did finally die, they asked if I could help. Mm-hmm. So I said, of course, you know, you will know, take it home, mm-hmm. do whatever you need to do, be be with her. And he wrote me a beautiful review saying it was so fabulous to have this little girl at home. All mm-hmm. three children got to hold her finally because they'd never really held her. Mm-hmm. She was always wires and tubes in yeah. her in an incubator and now there she was at home and it was it was like he said it was like our family was finally together again and we were all like normal even though little forget her name even though she was still and and cold and wasn't moving it was everything they needed to acknowledge that this this thing had been happening for six months that they how could they have gone on with their world yeah knowing that this little baby was in this yeah, she's part of the family. She's part of the family. Yeah. And they brought her home and they, mm. they dressed her and took her out in the carriage and, and were with her. And, and then finally, they, you know, he said, we're, we're ready. And they all, the whole family took her to the crematory and did their little ceremony. So beautiful. And then they were complete, you mm. know. So, yeah, it's critical. We have to do this. Yeah. We have to let people know. So important. Yeah, and that piece of just... Of course, it's going to affect you. Of course, it's a part of your body. I mean, that's such a visceral image that your mom had. I mean, I I even felt that with my dad died and he was not a child of mine. You know, I literally felt like a limb had been removed from my body. Mm -hmm. It just makes me so heartbroken for the women walking around feeling that way. And then, and their children too that are alive that have a bit of missing mom too, because she's not getting the support that she needs. So deep. I think they, they, yeah, they miss mom, but they also they miss their sibling, mm-hmm. even though they never saw her or him. They they know that something's 
Yeah. Something's not It's right. a piece of their DNA too, right? Yeah. I mean, and you, you hear that. Of, I've read and heard stories of, you know, children that were twins and then one of the twins dies and they're never told in their whole life. They feel like they're missing something. You know, there's part of them missing and then they find out, oh, it was my twin, you know, that mom never wanted to tell me about. So I just think there's such an energetic link between all siblings mm-hmm. and family members. I mean, so integrated all together. Well, I just love that you're doing that work and you're bringing more of that consciousness to women's journeys. And we all need to gather around all the women in our communities that are going through that and be of service in some way. Yeah, I hope people will reach out and call Sacred Crossings mm-hmm. if they if they know of anyone who's you know about to experience this or, or who has. And we can still get there very quickly after birth. If, mm-hmm. Okay. And every hospital, you know, we'll work with any hospital to make sure she can bring it home. Unfortunately, sadly, you know, they want to autopsy these infants, but um, which. <laughs> I have a whole lot of feeling about that. It's yeah, can insane. you can you decline that, or is it just dependent on the situation or the illness? Or um, you can try to decline it, but the hospital, you know, they want to know, right? You know, who's who's liable? Yeah, was mm-hmm. there someone at fault, or to make sure that they're not liable? Right. And sadly, they can hardly ever tell anyway. Right. So, and it's it's a shame that that infant has to go through that. I know. But um, we try whenever we can to try to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And so you'll come physically to the hospital and help with taking the baby home. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are ways for women that might be listening to this that had miscarriages and they want to honor it or had a stillbirth and they didn't know about doing this kind of thing? Are there energetic ways? Do you ever work with people or have any advice for people, you know, if this happened years and years ago, how to honor that? Oh, I would definitely suggest that they they come together as a as a community, if possible, with all those who were involved, or if, at, at least the, the partner, and do a, a sacred ritual mm. to honor that they lived, that honor that how long they they were with them inside, and um, and with a profound blessing, ritualize the death too. And have a funeral service. It won't be a funeral; it'll be a memorial. But and have something like that that marks the day, that marks the time they came. Mm-hmm. It gives them a name. Um, it, it puts a like a fingerprint here on the on the earth. Yes, mm-hmm. they came. They mattered. Mm-hmm. They affected us, and they died, and we loved them anyway. I think that's critical again in order to move on. And you obviously don't work with just babies. I mean, this is a topic I wanted to discuss because I think it's so important for all mothers to know about this and this type of healing if they've experienced it or just how to show up for their sisters who might be experiencing it. But how how do you work in general with sacred crossings? Like, what does that look like? Well, sacred crossings is is a two-part business really it's it's the institute for conscious dying and that's um <clears throat> i teach classes and workshops and a certificate program in the art of death midwifery mm-hmm. which is really a doula certification but it's more than just doula mm-hmm. but it involves the after death care too right, right up until the grave all the logistical part all the logistical mm-hmm. parts and then we also have um, a fully licensed funeral home. So it's the Sacred Crossings Funeral Home can help a family for whatever their more, uh, mortuary needs are. We can do a direct cremation, a direct burial, just in a, in a traditional way. Mm-hmm. But our signature service is the home funeral service. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why most people find us because they know that we can be their bedside while the person is dying. Mm-hmm. And then um, be, be that very natural segue between after the last breath, when the hospice calls the funeral home, where we can be right there and help the family. Uh, we just support them in the pre- preparing the body, washing it, dressing it, laying it in honor, um, finding a place in the home where we can um, either put the casket or a table, which is draped, mm-hmm. and then the body is placed on dry ice. Um, and we'll support the family during those next three days. 
where I take a cremation box to the house and the family will decorate it, usually on the patio or in the dining room or somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then on the third day, we'll transfer the body from the table into the cardboard cremation casket if it's cremation. And most of ours are cremations today. And then we'll have the funeral service right there in the house. So, um, which is the the most natural thing. The body Mm -hmm. never leaves the care and attention of their loved ones right up until the the cremation or the burial. Mm. And I think that's what brings a lot of comfort to people. Yeah. You know, every, every part of this process had their fingerprints all over it. What, what a loved one wore, the colors that were used, the fabrics that draped the table, Maybe there's prayer flags, maybe we've come, maybe there's other rituals, balloons or ribbons or what, whatever the family want to mm-hmm. make this very uniquely theirs. I had one guy who was a fisherman, so there's fishing poles and hats mm-hmm. and lures and, and coolers. And it's remarkable how each person has a very unique, what's the word I'm looking for? The kind of style? Yeah, it's more than a life genre. I call it the the thread. We're all a very, very Mm, unique mm -hmm. and different thread. And that funeral service brings that to life. Mm. So you can see when you walk into the room that this is who that person was. Yeah, Um, Maybe they were a flamenco dancer Mm -hmm. or a hiker or whatever their contribution to humanity was. That's what I'm trying to bring out at that three-day vigil. I love that. And it's really celebrating their life, who they are, instead of this like, melancholic, yeah. you know, same kind of funeral system or service and the same, mm-hmm. you know, quotations being read. It's like, no, you're celebrating that life. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. And I love that part of the training with you is, you know, we got to plan them for our faux dead person and do the eulogy and all of that. And then seeing the videos of the funerals that you have done and the photos and so beautiful because you see people, especially if they know they're dying, if they're dying of cancer or something like that, they're really planning the exact flower they want. They're planning, you know, what they want draped, their outfits, their high heels. I mean, it's so great to see people's flair in dying. Yeah. And, it's and really cool. And their willingness to be a part of their own funeral service, mm-hmm. whether they choose to have it before they die, which we call the living funeral, mm-hmm. which I think are fabulous. You know, the person is totally. laying there I with love that even though they're very sick and they're being received by their family and friends Mm. and they're hearing all those wonderful things that you normally say at a funeral, but they're hearing it while they're still here. Such a gift. Oh, it is a gift. Then they really, they get how meaningful their life was. Mm -hmm. And they, they, then they get to feel filled up. One woman who had her living funeral said, I'm just filled to the brim with love. There's nothing left to do but Mm. die. That's so incredible. Why are we all doing that? I mean, what a beautiful way to end your life. And I hear that so often at funerals. I wish blah, blah, blah knew how loved they were. You know, I wish they were hearing these things. So actually bring that to people. So huge. I mean, that's what life is about. Uh, It's sad. A lot of people say they want it and they leave it just a little bit too late Mm -hmm. so that they can't enjoy it. And that I think has a lot to do with the fact that they don't want to say goodbye. Like, this is actually happening. This is actually soon. happening. I'm going to die maybe next week or the mm-hmm. week after. I've gathered you all together to say goodbye. It's it's a very powerful, very it's brave massive. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. But it's such a gift to everybody in the room when they can see somebody go consciously like that, fearlessly, filled up with love, fully aware of their own contribution that they made. And then pff, you're good to go. Yeah. We, we, we all need to be good to go. Mm. So powerful. Yeah. And like, imagine if as children, we all saw that in our relatives and our loved ones of just that like peaceful warrior, you know, taking ownership and coming back to that idea of they're doing death. It's not being done to them. They're not the victim. It's, you know, owning it. We're birthed and then we die. It's all part of it. Yes. And and they saw that when you die, you have this great big party and, and you hear what, what, you've, what your life's been about. Mm. And then the child gets to think, well, when I'm dying, I, this is what I'd like people to say, mm-hmm. that, that I created the most ingenious dot, dot, dot. Or, yeah. um, and they can, maybe that will help actually 
help help them frame and and plan what their life's going to be like. I don't like to think that. Mm -hmm. Well, after doing the training with you, I mean, that's my plan for my husband and me. I mean, he doesn't know that yet, but I'm keeping his body for three days. I mean, tooth and nail, I will fight for that, you know, because it's so incredible, the, the opportunity for healing. And, and I love the story. I forgot who it was, but an old couple. And I think he wanted to stay in bed, bring his wife home and slept in bed with her overnight. And then just really was able to let go after three days. Yeah. She, she actually died at home mm. when she was on mm. hospice. A number of people do that. And when you've lived with your wife for 60 years in that bed together, yeah. he just couldn't. He said, just just, just leave her right here. Mm. She died in the bed next mm-hmm. to him. So we washed her and dressed her and laid her right there. And the next morning I said, how was it? He said, it was hard, but I'm glad I had that night with her. Mm. You know, I couldn't let her go. And I said, well, you can do it again tonight. You know, we have to put ice under her. Mm-hmm. So she's going to be cold, but mm-hmm. you're welcome to if you want. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that he could, if he wanted to, was the space he needed to make that decision for himself. You know, yeah. but we need to feel empowered that we can handle these things. Totally. That we have what it takes to navigate these these events in our life. We mm-hmm. don't need some authority to tell us how to do it and what oh, we can and 100%. cannot do. 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's, I'm so, sorry to circle back, but that's one thing I wanted to bring up when we were talking about mothers losing children is there's no one else I know that's stronger than a mother and what we can handle and what we go through with our children on a daily basis. And the fact that throughout, you know, our current society in the past you know, handful of decades, just like, oh, women can't handle that. They can't handle that. And where we handle so much more than anybody else, you know, certainly. And to not be able to to own that piece. And I remember that's another thing of the training. And sorry if this is triggering for anybody, but it's always just been in my mind thinking about death and death of children of, you know, if your child dies in a car wreck, you know, even though people are trying to protect you from it and there might be glass on your child's face or, you know, it could be scary to people. But as a mother, you would want to see that, you know? And I remember you saying like, you would want to pick out that glass. You would want to hold your baby. No matter how old your child is, they're your baby. You'd want to experience that, that you're there with them, that you're helping heal their body, even though they're physically, you know, dead at that moment. But just to be able to experience that and then not just have them whisked away and you never see them. That protection, I just feel like is the fundamental root of why all these women are suffering that have lost children. I agree. And and then perhaps sometimes worse is to see that some stranger fixed her up and embalmed the body. So Mm -hmm. now you're looking at something that doesn't even feel like your child. Yeah. But yeah, the mom needs to hold her in her arms and fix her herself and wipe that blood away and know that she's still taking care of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My brother actually, he died when I was five. And my mom, you know, through my journey of doing death work, she remembers a friend of them of theirs saying to my dad, because it was my dad's son from a previous marriage. He had two sons and um, said, don't rush it. Just keep the body as long as you can be with him. I don't know who it was, but it was so beautiful. They shared that. Unfortunately, he didn't. I think there was just that, you know, that pressure or that, and it was also suicide. So I think there was that added trauma and just like not really being present with it. But I just always wonder like how that would have affected his healing because obviously suicide of a child affects you deeply for the rest of your life. You know, that was something he never could heal from. And so I just, I've always wondered, like, if he could have just held him and been with him for a couple of days, the amount of healing that that could have brought. Mm. Well, just so um, listeners are aware that, you know, if somebody does die suddenly, obviously um, it is a coroner case and they, mm. the cause of death has to be proven by mm. a, a coroner mm-hmm. and you're not, you're not allowed to touch or, or manipulate the body in any way. If it's So if you come home and you find your loved one, dead, then you do need to call 911. And, mm-hmm. But 
yes, that's traumatic in and of itself. And an autopsy is a very invasive thing to happen to a body, but we can bring that autopsied body back home mm. to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so you wouldn't get those lovely three days after death right away. Uh, there is a break, mm-hmm. but sometimes that the person who found the body needs a little time to actually adjust, mm. especially if it's traumatic, mm-hmm. like a suicide. Mm-hmm. But then knowing that it's going to come home and it won't have been embalmed and uh, yes, it would have had an autopsy, but mom still gets to be present to it and, and, and mm. to care for it and, and bathe it and dress it, the body. That is that that can do a lot of repairing to the yeah. psyche of the one who found them. So, yeah, yeah, we still do that. Mm, um, so amazing! You're so fierce. I mean, you're such a warrior. The fact that you can hold space like this for people, and it's—I mean—I think that's the beauty of you and this work is that you are there when they're in the process of dying, often or with them up until they're dying, and then you can really hold space for the family on the other side of it. I mean, it's so incredible that you're doing it for the actual person and then the person's family. Yeah, well, it's it's um, it's an incredible space to be invited into. Mm-hmm. It, it's holy ground mm-hmm. that liminal space between birth, as you know, as a mm-hmm. as a as a doula. Something happens viscerally to the energy in the room when the veil to eternity, as I call it, lifts and a soul comes through or a soul is departing. And that space has profound opportunity to change you completely. Mm -hmm. So each time I go, I feel as though I'm getting another opportunity to to rebirth myself in a way. Mm -hmm. And and I ask myself that, like, what am I absorbing from this person who's leaving? What incredible gifts did they master in their lives that I would never have a chance to do? But just because I'm here now at the the deathbed, I too can feel that energy. Mm. So I just try to stay as wide open as possible, breathe it in and and invite others to do the same. So I, I, I really get the value of that liminal space. And that's what I want to invite others into and to hold it open Mm. i mean i don't really understand the depth of it myself i just know it's very deep very vast and and it it literally is the mystery and i lean into it it's like i'm on the edge of this pool and when somebody dies i i let myself fall into Mm. it and it's never scary it's never even sad I mean, the tears flow, but the tears are, are like liquid love mm. and gratitude that I am alive to experience this. And that to me is what the mystery is. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing like death to bring that so close to you. Yeah. And we're all so busy in our lives. I, I mean, every second we're distracted by another shiny thing or yeah. another thing that wants our attention. And, and that isn't what life is. No. It, it's the silence and the space and the stillness, which when you're at the bedside of one who is dying or dead, you can finally feel. It's like, wow, thank mm. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you. And such a gift to be able to be there with our loved ones. You know, I mean, that that breaks my heart is we're all so busy and work schedule and you can't get work off in time, you know, to be by your grandparents or your parents' bedside. I mean, it's our culture. It's so messed up, you know? I mean, that should be paramount that Mm -hmm. we can always be of service like that. You know, it's interesting because one big take home I took from working with you or learning from you is that meditation every morning of being okay with your death. And when you get in the practice of doing that, you really live life in a different way. You really do. But it is kind of counterculture to society and like busy LA and like in the concrete jungle. And like, how do you, how do you live in this world? How do you, because you are, you're in between the worlds. I mean, the fact that you can do this work, like you're a special spirit. So how do you just logistically like go about your day? 
I don't know how quite that's to a answer big question. That, yeah, the question, <laughs> but I think I've, I merge the two worlds. I really do, mm. just by thinking of it and meditating on it so consistently and continuously that it it really is just death to me. So, like the end of the exhale, it, mm. it's not a big deal at all. And I think we can actually um, br- bring the two together. So I'm, I, I live every moment in a state of awe and wonder because death is just like a hair breath away. Mm. So I don't keep the two separate. Mm. They're, they're it's like, all one. It's all one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I think it really is one. I think we're, are, are we alive? What is being alive? I mean, my cells are multiplying and they've created this physical body, but, but what is all that? Mm. None of us really know. I think it's impossible to to understand that's why it's a mystery and I've just decided to embrace the mystery and I'm, mm-hmm. that's that's how, so how do I get on with my day it's just it's it's a mystery and I love it mm-hmm. and it's a mystery and I love it <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect I love that oh, so do you describe yourself as a death midwife or how do you label yourself or do you label yourself well I do I I've always felt it's a death midwife mm-hmm. because because I came in the work from holding the space for the home funeral. Mm-hmm. And my training was as a home funeral guide, which was learning how to you know dress and prepare and preserve a, a dead body. Mm-hmm. And it was then after that that I added the conscious dying piece because it was clear that people were not prepared to have a home funeral had they not thought about it before. So in thinking about it, you need to put a lot of other things together. So I went backwards into conscious dying, which I believe should happen. It happens naturally about nine months before you die. I can take the the baby nine months to grow. I think it actually takes nine months to um, just gently decline so that you're ready to birth into the whatever's next. But many people push that notion away. I think we get a fluttering of a knowing nine mm-hmm. months before we die. And it's like, ah, mm-hmm. what can I do to mm-hmm. hang on to? What other treatment can I get? And all we're really doing is extending dying by doing that. Right. Not always, but most of the time. So I think the, the death doula piece, just like the, um, is, is more of helping people die consciously, putting mm-hmm. their things in order, being present to them as they approach their dying but the, the the midwife is not only that, but she also, or, she, or he, is, is present after the last breath right through to the grave or the crematory. Mm. So I think death midwifery is the umbrella yeah. for anything that involves taking, being conscious as, as we move into this death journey, yeah. or whatever that entails. And I think the journey continues three days after, at least three days, or until burial or cremation. Mm-hmm. That's the final. So death midwifery can include the spiritual counseling, the death doula, um, it, can in, it can include the home funeral guide. I think it should also include the funeral home mm-hmm. and, and everything that they do and the caregiving and the medical profession too, if they're working with palliative care or anything to, uh, anything to do with the dying process should come under the umbrella of death midwifery. Yeah. So, and then... As a death midwife, if I know that I can't be present to the person who's dying, I will um, invite a death doula mm-hmm. to, to help the, the, the journey in that piece. Or I'll find a funeral home who can help. Now we are a funeral. Sacred Crossings is a funeral home. But before we were, I'd find them a funeral home who could mm-hmm. care for them. And I find the hospice. So That's I think the, the midwife is like the overseer to make sure that they're held in a, in a, in a womb. A womb, a tomb of comfort. That really makes sense. And just on the flip side of, you know, a birth midwife versus a birth doula, they have very different roles. So I think that's a really good explanation that Mm -hmm. you just described to people. Because we're hearing more of those terminology and I think it's, it's good to delineate between the two. And it's all great. It's all important. And, and some people can choose to be a home funeral guide, Mm -hmm. but not, um, be involved in the the dying process, right. and uh, and vice versa. So yeah. there are people who are just offering home funeral guidance, and I think it's still being worked out. But 
I would love to see every hospital hire, um, have a death midwife on staff and a dying room to go to. Uh, And maybe every funeral home should have a death midwife so uh that they could um, offer that to families who maybe they go to the funeral home and say, mom's in, mom's going to die soon. And then the funeral home would say, would you like a a midwife? And uh, that person would be the liaison between Mm -hmm. the dying person and the funeral home. Mm -hmm. Instead of right now, I think they're a little nervous of this, very um, non-traditional alternative way of approaching it because it's threatening the structure that's been in place for the last hundred years. When really it's so traditional, (laughs) just in our current, you know, modern society, it's non-traditional, but it's really what people have been doing for thousands of years. Yeah. Yes, it is. Oh, I hope your dream manifests because it's just so needed and important and it would change all of our lives. I mean, truly, really, it's just as important to me is the birth world changing and, you know, the, the money-making aspect of birth. It's the same in death. So taking it back, taking our control and our power back and owning it and for our loved ones is so powerful. I think that's the key word is empowerment. Mm-hmm. Inspiring, um, empowering and uplifting every individual in the family and the community to their, their highest possible potential in terms of owning their own experience. Yeah. So for people that might be listening that are really interested and intrigued by this work, but don't want to become a death doula or death midwife, do you offer a class just kind of dip your toe into learning more about death and your relationship with death? Yes, I do. Oh, good. good. (laughs) That's my favorite (laughs) class. And I call it Enter the Grave. Mm. It's, It's Basically, it's facing the fear of dying mm. and it's open to anybody who who wants to go a little bit closer to this subject, mm-hmm. but have perhaps been afraid of it their whole life. And um, I hold these classes in Pacific Palisades. It's in a very gentle, womb-like environment. I don't take more than 15 to 20 in each group. So we have a lot of opportunity for sharing. Mm. Um, and this particular class is... It's like a deep personal dive into your own experience and opening, hopefully, to all of these other uh, possibilities. So it includes, you know, meditations and written exercises and partner work and and a death rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And then this is the foundation course for the art of death midwifery too. So if after that you decided you wanted to learn more about how to have a conscious dying experience, then and you would go on to take conscious dying, but it's not necessary. And, mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that. And most people say that the workshop you know, profoundly changed them. They, they came in a little fearful. Mm-hmm. Like most people are. Most people are afraid of this because yeah. they don't like the unknown. Yeah. And, and leave relaxed. Mm-hmm. So that now they totally. can be a little bit more open to experience the joy of mm-hmm. life. Yeah. It, this is not depressing work. It's the opposite. It's yeah. liberating. It is. Mm. And just, I'm adding a piece of my personal journey with that is I had found you online years before I actually met with you. And it just felt like it wasn't the time because I was just so immersed in like having a young child and my postpartum doula work. And then my within 15 months, my dad, my two beloved grandmoms and my dog died. So I felt like I was really always interested in death, but then I felt like I was thrown into the death doula holding that space and traveling back and forth a ton with my father and my grandmoms. And I actually did doula one of my grandmothers, just me. And I was alone with her, with my hand on her heart when she drew her last breath. Mm-hmm. But I remember calling you and talking to you and saying, I've just gone through this. Is this an inopportune time to train with you. And you're like, no, this is the time, you know, you are broken open. This is the time to delve in. And it was such a healing opportunity. Mm. And it really allowed for healing in a deeper way. And yes, maybe if I'd known all the information, I would have done things differently, but it allowed me to kind of process it and give that intention and love with them to them now, you know? Mm. So... Yes, great. a lot of students do come when they're, they're, they're needing to heal something, something mm-hmm. that they've been carrying perhaps from their own childhood. And 
or, or something recent like yourself. So I say yes, come mm-hmm. come in while you while you can be in that healing space because mm-hmm. it really is a healing space. I wouldn't advise to start the work as a a doula or a midwife yeah. while 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 you haven't given yourself at least a year. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah. And grief is such an interesting, it's not a linear thing. You know, everyone goes through it so differently and at different phases. And and that was so cool too. And the training is seeing these really deeply buried things that women were like, oh, I haven't even thought about that in 30 years. And it surfaces, you know, we have such story around death and it's just all within us. So to really look at it and examine it and not judge it, but just to be with it is so important. Yeah, it really is. I'm so glad that you're doing this work. And Thank you. I'm so glad you're up. doing this work. And then I was able to train with you and now be friends with you. And I just, you know, you're so inspiring to me. I mean, truly. And so for your next course, where, like, when is that happening? Where can people find you? Um, the next one is in September. And, and I think I'll be putting two on the calendar this year because we do have a lot more interest in Enter the Grave. So, um, and you can find that on the website, sacredcrossings.com under education and um, classes. Okay, awesome. I'll post it there. And are you on Instagram? I am on Instagram, okay. finally. <laughs> and I have a Facebook page. And I'm actually going to New York too. I don't know how how wide your audience is, but I'll be teaching a conscious dying class oh, at, cool. the, at the Open Center in New York in November. Too. Oh, amazing. Okay, so this will probably air in August. So... For you New Yorkers, if you're around in November and want to delve in, reach out to Olivia. Thank you so much for being here. Such an honor. I want to already do other podcasts with you because it's such a massive topic. And I think this is a great start, though. So thank you so much. Thank you. Blessings. Blessings.